here. We mark one month today since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There's been a lot of talk in this country about the impact it will have domestically, whether it be aid to Ukraine, how best to bring Ukrainians fleeing violence to this country. We'll talk about that later. If we need to increase military spending and energy, specifically energy security. Here's why. Russia is the European Union's biggest natural gas supplier, accounting for more than 40% of imports. It also relies on the country for the biggest share of its coal and oil imports. In 2021, the EU imported $108 billion worth of energy from Russia. Here's Finland's Prime Minister, Sanna Marin. As long as we are purchasing energy from Russia, we are financing the war. And this is the big problem that we have. So obviously Europe now looking to wean itself off Russian energy. And that's where Canada, holder of the world's third largest oil reserves, comes in. This country says it can produce, producers can boost exports of oil and natural gas to the U.S. this year as part of an international effort to help the world move away from Russian energy. By the end of this year, Canadian producers will be positioned, according to the Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, to export an extra 200,000 barrels a day of oil to the U.S. He said that during a conference call from Paris with the International Energy Agency today. Now, Ottawa says it has no plans to compromise its climate goals. But there is a but is there a balance that could also see the country help provide this much needed energy security to meet a fast changing geopolitical reality? Joining me now is Dennis McConaughey. He's a former pipeline executive and author on climate and energy issues in Canada. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Great to be with you. As we are on the one month anniversary of the invasion, I guess one of the areas where it's had the greatest impact simply because of the kind of business Russia does is on energy. Uh, just how much of an impact has this war had uh, on not only energy markets, but also our way of thinking about energy security? Well, I think it's fair to say that the issue of energy security has now come back to being a preeminent consideration when for virtually the last 20 years, it's been utterly uh, dismissed as a consideration uh, and has been entirely subordinated to things like climate change. So it's a lot has changed. Uh, with an urgency that came about because of the invasion. And for a country like Canada, I think this is important to emphasize at the outset. Canada is fundamentally self-sufficient in energy. The issue for Canada, is it going to make a contribution to global energy security by producing more hydrocarbons? That's really the issue for Canada. And that is as you've mentioned in the past, that creates a collision between what we what has been uh, a policy direction for several years in this country towards uh, more decarbonization. Uh, so what does that look like if Canada suddenly has to start making decisions about whether to contribute to global energy security or contribute to the global fight against uh, climate change? Well, let's, let's, let, let's get very specific about one area. Natural gas in Central Europe. You know, if Central Europe, which really means the German economy, but all those countries that border the Ukraine that have accepted so many refugees, all of them are highly dependent on Russian gas. So how does that change over time? Well, obviously, one way that changes over time is they can import more LNG. And so that means the world has to increase its LNG production. And one of the places in the world that can do that is North America. Uh, the United States is already a, a major LNG exporter, but they have the capacity to do more. And so, frankly, does Canada. So when we talk about this right now, uh, Canada 
has one project, the LNG Canada project, and the associated coastal gas link pipeline that will supply gas from Northeast BC and Northwest Alberta to Kitimat to produce LNG. That project is still trying to move forward, been beset by both various uh, civil disobedience disruptions and you know the heavy hand of regulation from the federal government. But frankly, Canada could probably do two or three more of those kinds of projects, whether they go to Kitimat or to Prince Rupert, or even potentially off the east coast of Canada. And that would be, again, another contribution to world LNG supply, which would make Central Europe less reliant on on Russian imports. So that, to me, is one of the great questions. Is Canada going to try to facilitate that by basically saying, we're going to expedite the completion of LNG Canada and basically ask for uh, proposals to add more LNG capacity. And if we were to do that, uh, and we need to be intellectually honest about this, uh, there would be more incremental carbon emissions that would arise from the liquefaction process, because to make LNG, you have to cool gas, and to cool gas, you have to compress it, and you have to burn natural gas or uh, find some other form of energy to get that done. Uh, Those are incremental emissions. And there are some methane emissions related to incremental gas and gas transmission. So, right. you know, Canada would have incremental carbon emissions um, that would run counter to the current pledges Canada has made under the Paris Accord. And in respect of crude oil, uh, Canada could uh, expand its production out of the oil sands. There certainly will be an economic incentive for that with prices over $100 a barrel. The question is, without more pipeline capacity, how are we going to get that out? So it begs the question, again, of making TMX a national priority to get it completed more quickly. And, of course, the age-old question of having the Biden administration reverse itself on KXL. Just for listeners to put this into context, uh, Europe gets 40% of its natural gas from Russia, gets about 25% of its crude oil exports from Russia, and they've set a very ambitious timetable to try to wean them off that dependence, uh, because ultimately, um, it puts money in Russia's coffers, and it has for many, many, many years. But as, as you were pointing out, I mean, Canada's opportunity here to enhance to use a word that I never like to use, but to enhance global energy security is simply to provide more, say, LNG into the global market. So if we produce it out West and send it to Asia, you're, you're providing energy security because you're allowing, um, you're allowing other countries to buy from elsewhere. That's how it works. That's how, the, that's how Canada can help global energy security up to, uh, ultimately. Yes, you have it absolutely right. Like Canadian LNG supply will physically go to places like South Korea and Northern China, because that transportation route is actually a relatively close one in LNG terms. And it will enable other LNG sources in Africa, particularly North Africa, to get to Central Europe. And the overall system is better optimized. But the point is that if North America starts producing more LNG, there is more available that can displace Russian gas and keep the cost of LNG uh, supply in total to uh, Central Europe more affordable and still provide the fundamental economics to get these projects uh, in the, to be economic for places like the United States and Canada. One of the things you've written about in the past, though, is that because for, for a variety of reasons, 
for a country that has the kinds of, of resource riches that we have, we have very little infrastructure now in place to deliver it. And that infrastructure takes a long time to build. Well, so we, we need to also be realistic about that. Our contribution to, to world LNG markets is at best uh, two to five years away, somewhere in that time frame. Like maybe we can get LNG Canada online within at the outer edge of two years, and these other kinds of projects will probably come into the market five years. But the point is, once you go down that path, you are fundamentally uh, putting more uh, leverage into the hands of you know, the West vis-a-vis Russia than if we don't embark on that. And if we don't, uh, Central Europe is going to be more vulnerable. And, the, you know, the basic dynamic of what uh, has been tolerated out of Russia just gets more, um, uh, is just prolonged. So either this country seizes this opportunity, uh, and to do that, it's going to have to adjust to some degree its climate ambitions. Which brings me to my next point, which we'll get to right after this. I'm speaking with Dennis McConaughey, a former pipeline executive and author on climate and energy issues in Canada. We will talk about the politics of all this because at the end of the day, the politics matters. That's after this. I'm back with Dennis McConaughey, a former pipeline executive and an author on climate and energy issues in Canada. We've been talking about the invasion of Ukraine, uh, certainly a move on the part of Europe to wean itself quite quickly or as fast as it can off Russian energy imports on which it is heavily dependent uh, and certainly something that gives provides a huge amount of money to Russia itself um, and where Canada fits in in all this. So if I hear you right, there is a political reckoning now to be had, probably one the Liberal government didn't want to have to make this quickly or at all. Um, but we're faced now with the very real question of energy security uh, versus the very or perhaps alongside the very real commitments we've made to fight climate change. Uh, politically, where does the, where do you think this goes and what do politicians need to be talking about? Well, uh, I'll be very straightforward on this. I think it is going to be very difficult for the Trudeau government, even more so after its coalition with the NDP, but just as difficult for the Biden administration to entirely embrace uh, the notion of energy security justifying expanded hydrocarbon production. And, and what this really gets to in within these governments is their preparedness to accept increased hydrocarbon production, less regulatory constraint on realizing that production, and giving the assurance to people who are going to invest that you know those investments are not going to be disrupted over time. So to the extent that energy security matters now <clears throat> and that our ambitions on dealing with climate have to modify, I think this is a very difficult challenge for governments of the orientation of Biden and Trudeau. I mean, that's just being honest about the reality of where we find ourselves. And yet we saw the German government, um, you know, with, with Greens in power with them, make a very serious commitment about energy independence. I mean, they don't produce energy, but clearly they're, they're looking, you know, there, there must be a conversation to be had somewhere because countries in Europe, such as Germany, heavily rely on Russia, are starting to say, listen, we need the energy security now. So let's uh, talk. Sure. So, I mean, they've come to the realization that they can't run their economies without a significant natural gas component. And, you know, in the world of Merkel, an integration with Russia still seemed plausible. Now that's been disrupted. 
So they can't really sustain their economies without significant natural gas as being a major part of their primary energy supply. Question is, where do they get it? (coughs) And does Canada and the United States become a contributor to world LNG supply beyond what they're doing today? Like, and as I said before, uh, if those, if these two countries, Canada and the United States, are going to become bigger LNG producers, climate ambitions within Canada, and if we define climate ambitions as being uh, where do our emissions go over the short and medium term? Well, they're going. We're, we're, it's going to be more difficult to reach what we're already to begin with implausible emission reduction targets. So that's really the the choice these governments have to make. When you look at the political dialogue over this, and I use the word dialogue sarcastically, because what we hear a lot of is sort of this is just my perception, sort of as an agnostic. We hear a lot of sort of you know, angry preaching out of Jason Kenney, for instance, out of Alberta, out of those who support um, expanding energy production. And we hear a lot of sort of preachy words coming out of those who oppose it. And there doesn't seem to be ever this realization that we could actually have a, a pretty honest conversation about energy security and about climate change. And maybe the time to have it is now. Well, so a couple of things that I would just offer in that respect. Uh, it is. Very difficult for me to imagine a world out to 2050 or beyond without a significant amount of natural gas and crude oil consumption in the world. Uh, simply because um, we know places like India and China are not committing to emission reductions. We also know that it is very difficult uh, to not be using natural gas for not just to make world fertilizer, which is going to become even more necessary when you know the world's going to try to avoid a massive food crisis. Uh, it's very hard to make fertilizer without reforming natural gas. Likewise, it's very hard to cope with increasing amounts of renewables in energy, in electricity grids, without having natural gas available to balance out the, the, the reality of intermittency. So it's very hard for me to imagine a world where crude oil And again, for crude oil, it's very hard to substitute it for petrochemicals, which are like omnipresent in our economy and fuels we use for mobility. Very hard to substitute those things. So in a world that I don't really think can do without hydrocarbons, we need to have more realistic emission targets and carbon policies than simply saying we're going to try to meet 1.5C by decarbonizing. Rather, I think we have to have a balanced approach, which says we're primarily going to rely on carbon pricing to incent lower carbon emission technologies, while at the same time not eliminating hydrocarbons. And, And that really speaks to the G7 taking the lead in a different approach to uh, global climate change than what the UN process has directed us to. I mean, that's what I think would be a constructive way forward if we had the political leadership that could do that. For the time being, an extra 200,000 barrels a day. I gather the, uh, the uh, Jonathan Wilkinson was in Paris today. So we are making some small commitments, but it feels like we're a long way from adding a whole well, lot to this. So this, that, that's yeah. on the crude oil side. So, right. you know, at a hundred dollars a barrel, people should understand uh, getting an extra two or 300,000 barrels into the market over the next 24 months, I think is entirely possible. Yep. The question is, 
could Canada get not just 300, but up to an incremental million and fill up an X case, uh, you know, a KXL pipeline, for instance, uh, that, that's like still possible if there was the will to do it. Uh, but as I've said before, I think the real, the real choice for Canada, as much as anything lies on the natural gas LNG side as it does in, you know, the incremental expansions on, on, on our oil sands. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much. Lots to think about. I think this will be a discussion we'll be having for uh, quite a while. Quite a while. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it.